Don't call them trolls, call them PR associates. The 2022 presidential campaign was a deeply polarizing one, and it played out on social media with memes and viral posts. Prior to the May 9 elections, Business World senior reporter RJL Balinbin spoke to Jonathan C. Ong, a disinformation researcher and an associate professor of global digital media at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. In this B-side episode, Mr. Ong revisits a 2018 study he co-authored titled Architects of Network Disinformation, Behind the Scenes of Troll Accounts and Fake News Production in the Philippines. He also touches on the four work models of political trolling, the state-sponsored model, the in-house staff model, the advertising and PR model, and the one we saw in full force, the clickbait model. Let's listen in as Mr. Ong explains that in today's game, image is everything. We have witnessed the previous elections, especially the 2016, where we saw the rise of social media personalities and trolls in political campaigns. But I wonder, sir, to what extent did that phenomenon affect the outcome of the previous election to the point that it now demands serious conversations like this, especially as we approach another election? That's such a good question, right, about the impacts of social media when it comes to elections. So I'm a sociologist and my approach is always to also center the experiences and stories and social contexts of ordinary people and seeing them as having agency, as having power, as having decision-making. I don't consider ordinary people, certainly not Filipinos whom I think as super creative and witty and funny and humorous and also resilient. Hindi tayo bobotante. So we're not going to be, our minds are not going to be changed by one example of fake news that we see online. We will not swing from one person to another just because of something, of one incident of, you know, a fake news na kumalat online. So the approach that I do when it comes to understanding ano ba talaga yung impact ng social media sa elections, I think ang impact niya is how it groups people to particular camps. So to me, it's more about polarization. So how we practice politics nowadays is less and less about issues. It was never about issues in the Philippines personality-oriented yung ating system of politics. And so it's super hard for politicians to just stick with, you know, clear political positions on certain issues, right? So social media accelerated this kind of personality-oriented climate. It also accelerated the idea that I belong to a fan group. So ngayon, di ba, we hear people identify as kakampinks, as Uniteam, as pro-BBM, as DDS, etc. So I think that's a distinct way of in which Filipinos see themselves. Yeah, just compared to a couple years ago. So I think that's how politics have changed because of social media, how we belong to particular camps. Also, how we treat the other camp. So we think of the other camp not as people we disagree with. Now we think of the other camp as villains. We think of the other camp as people who are our enemies enemies we have no respect for. 
And I think that's really concerning. What actually enables these digital disinformation operators to, you know, evolve and even maybe dominate the online space during the campaign period in the country? What kind of opportunities do we Filipinos in general unwittingly offer them to thrive in our online communities? I think where social media is extremely helpful and effective is that it enables ordinary people to riff off and be playful, if you will, dun sa mga nakikita nila sa social media, diba? So parang people find it like extremely playful and even quote-unquote fun to be adding to the message, to the narrative. So itong strategist at the top, parang sila tagagawa ng main narrative. So for example, the idea na mainstream media are biased to the Dutertes or to the Marcoses, diba? So that's the narrative from the top. Na parang was crafted from the top. It might have been seeded through a meme or two, expressed by a blogger. And then it depends now on the creativity and the passion, the enthusiasm of political fans to take it forward. So kanya-kanya na silang conspiracy theory, kanya-kanya na silang collage, or meme, or banat sa mainstream media. So, uh, magtotroll na sila sa ABS uh, comment section, itotroll na nila ang Rappler. So, kanya-kanya ng galaw yung mga political fans. So, I think that participatory culture of social media makes it very, very volatile, very unpredictable, and I think that's what also makes it very effective for politics in a very divided political system like ours. So, sir, in your paper, you actually describe this industry lucrative. I mean, the disinformation production on the internet. So, how do we actually characterize the players? Who are the giants here? Who are the, the actors? small and big and I think well, we can now answer such questions by you know describing the four models you've found in your study that study came about through my passion to track down the people behind the troll accounts but I want to hear the human stories behind the trolls you know but we have the, the idea na parang trolls are itong mga anonymous accounts itong bots that we see online and we have many assumptions who they might be. And I wanted to challenge people's assumptions of who they are. So we are often quick to stereotype them as ay taga Davao or taga Ilocos, itong mga call center operations. Well, we found in our study, some of them work from Makati, some of them work from a corporate boardroom, some work in a PR firm in BGC, some do it as a sideline gig. And Malaki ang kita sa influence operations, especially during campaign season. So um, what we uh, discussed in our report, for many people, trabaho lang to. For some people, there is real belief in their client. But crucially, uh, maraming operations, sa uh, itong mga troll operations, sinaspotlight lang natin itong low-level operator na para ang assumption natin is, you know, medyo middle-class background. They needed to support their family. But some of them are also high-powered corporate marketers. Some of them operate from very prestigious advertising agencies. And they lend their services to politicians during the campaign season. So these people are politically invincible. So imagine, right? Like These are the people who helped elect 
the people we know into office. So senators, presidents, and vice presidents, they have an utang na loob to these political strategists. So no wonder our discourse remains about um, sino ba itong influencer, sino ba itong purveyor of fake news, si Mocha Uson. Well, we're not asking who's behind or who's higher up than Mocha Uson. So that's what we talk about in Architects of Network Disinformation, the hierarchy of troll operations. Nabanggit niyo, medyo malaki ang kita. So how much money does a PR firm make for a disinformation contract, for example, especially during campaign season? It's hard to uh, monetize that. I heard back in 2016, 2 million pesos for a three-month contract. And ang main output is a national trending hashtag. How much does a troll operator make? So a troll operator, there's the monthly position. So if you're a troll operator within a PR firm, your job title is not troll. Your job title is PR associate. And that's also how they recruit and deceive people to become a troll. So when fresh college graduates um, join PR firms, sometimes they're surprised. Ay, si mayor pala client ko. Ay, ang trabaho ko pala tagagawa ng uh, memes attacking their rivals. So, but their job title is PR associate. They're not called trolls. So, ang uh, sweldo nila, 15,000 a month. Of course, during campaign season, um, kailangan ng extra sets of eyes and ears, extra sets of fake accounts. So, um, dito na uuso yung mga medyo on a daily or on a weekly contract. So, I've heard 500 pesos kung taga-probinsya for a one-day operation, 1,000 kung taga-Manila ka. So, once again, there's so many entry points to becoming a troll. Hindi lang yung idea natin na, ay, troll farm nasa Ilocos or call center ito sa Davao. No. Many of them um, work within PR firms. Some of them are contracted by political clients um, during a campaign season. And may sariling opisina sila next to the office of the politician. To be very specific, what do clients actually need from them? What do they want? What's in the contract? The political clients very rarely meet the lowest level troll. And in my research, I encourage uh, folks to also listen to the podcast version of my research. So a um, podcast is called Catch Me If You Can, co-hosted by journalist Kat Ventura. And it's a weekly podcast where we interview these people. We interview the troll at the lowest level. We interview the uh, medyo sikat na influencer in the middle. And we interview the political strategist at the top. And we hear yeah different versions of their story. So uh, medyo iba-iba uh, depende dun sa konteksto kung magkano yung bayad sa kanila um, and kung anong papagawa sa kanila. But in episode 3 of Catch Me If You Can, to go back to your question, ano ba yung hinihingi ng politician sa troll? So the politician actually only meets with a PR strategist. Politician will not uh, waste his or her time to talk to the influencer or to the fake account operator, diba? And it also gives the politician a, a level of plausible deniability and distance, diba? And that's why we hear politicians, I don't own a troll farm. Well, technically, they're correct. They don't have a troll farm. They have a PR firm, and that's um, what they do. They talk to a PR firm. Gusto ko pabanguhin yung pangalan ko. Uh, meron akong crisis. Kailangan natin patayin itong crisis. So, yun lang, top level. Bahala na si strategist, 
gumawa ng memes, gumawa ng specific narratives, umatake at also magpapogi. So sir, iba-iba na yan sila sa industry. Ano? And now we look at them as businesses. When do we say that a disinformation operator is winning or losing in this space? Competitive sila sa isa't isa, disinformation operators. And of course, again, their formal title is not fake news producer or disinformation operator. Their formal title, PR consultant, political marketer, media strategist. Ito yung mga formal titles of the people at the top. And um, it's super competitive for them. Of course, ang unang competition is they want to get the biggest account. They want to get like the most competitive races. And again, in Catch Me If You Can, episode 3, uh, we talked to a, a PR strategist. Now, for her, it's a thrill um, to be part of a political campaign. So we heard from her. Sabi niya, I'm so bored doing shampoo accounts. I need a challenge. I want to work with a politician na sira yung pangalan niya. She had something to prove, kumbaga, to her industry. She had something to prove to her friends to also her rivals na kaya niyang pabanguhin itong politician na kliyente niya and panaluhin sa election. So for some of them, it's a thrill, it's a competition. They love the challenge. So what, what's the metrics here? How, how do they even measure success in trolling or spreading false information? The main success uh, during an election is to get their clients into office. So that's the main success. The more modest and non-election related um, issues is if they're able to influence uh, public conversations. Paminsan magpapatrend sila ng hashtag or magpaplant sila ng narratives sa social media. Hihintayin nilang ipick up ito ng mainstream media. Gusto nilang medyo sunugin yung journalist na ipick up yung story nila. And success yun sa kanila. Oh, we were able to influence public conversation about so-and-so crisis, about so-and-so scandal. Using the four models you determined in your study, sir, to explain the digital mm-hmm. liberation in the Philippine political landscape. Are there notable differences, sir, between what such models show about what we had experienced in 2016 and in this year's election campaign? For this election campaign, parang mas dumami pa yung um, disinformation players and actors than before. And I think it's got something to do as well with COVID. Um, that meant politicians were unsure, especially late, late 2021, right? Makakapag grassroots campaigns ang pabatayo. Yung investments sa social media had to happen sooner. And that's why there's many different kinds of operators sa digital. Uh, mga influencers kumalat na. Mga TikTokers kumalat na. Parody accounts dumami pa. Nag-diversify yung industriya. So... Some of them are operating from uh, PR firms. Some of them are major smaller ragtag operations. Some of them, of course, are working directly with a politician. Um, lahat ito at play pa rin for 2022. We are seeing how nasty the campaign has been, uh, how noisy it is online, and nagsasagutan ang mga tao online. Obviously, some of it is also volunteerism as well. I look at the Robredo campaign, definitely investing a lot in digital, don't you think? Na parang ang dami nilang versions of their creative materials online. But it's good that hindi pa rin nila sinacrifice ang house-to-house and grassroots. Let's not also buy the hype that social media will win you an election. You need everything.
everything. You need the narrative, you need the story, but you also need the mobilization on ground. So observation, sir, can we say that the previous survey results in a way indicate now the extent to which digital disinformation impacted Filipino voters? I think what we're seeing is Marcos has a 23-point lead in the last Pulse Asia survey to Vice President Lenny Robredo. So what are people seeing in Marcos Jr., right? Um, why are people resoundly um, supporting Marcos Jr. Um, based on the polls? And to me, that is also, I would say, that social media has contributed to the rehabilitation of the Marcos brand. I think social media have huge consequences in terms of pinapogi, inayos, sinanitize ang Marcos brand. So rather than the atrocities na naiisip ng 53% um, based on the surveys supporting Marcos, ang naiisip nila is the golden age of Marcos or ang naiisip nila is how Robredo is part of the liberal elite who has done them dirty, who has done the masa dirty over the past a couple of decades. So that um, narrative has played out on social media. Hindi naman masyado natin naririnig itong Marcos myth, Marcos folklore on mainstream media. Where else do they hear it? Social media is a place where some of these narratives are planted. Is there a new model now of disinformation production you've found? On the current campaign period. So with the evolving and expanding digital disinformation, for example, in trolling, what does the mm-hmm. future Philippine elections look like? I think um, bago this time around is some platforms, like TikTok. Certainly, we didn't see that um, play in 2019 or 2016. So it's a youth-oriented platform, and therefore, you need to be creative in your messaging there. I think uh, bago uh, din ngayon is parang medyo wild west na, na parang may troll yung kabila, eh di labanan mo na din ng yung troll army. So, uh, mina mass report kayo, so mass report mo na din yung kabila. So, trolls were versus trolls, memes versus memes. Um, I've called this the memoirs dati. I think what we're seeing is a real Wild West. Anything goes. Believe whatever survey that you want to believe. You don't want to believe SWS or Pulse Asia or let's believe Google Trends. You don't want to believe uh, ABS-CBN or Rappler. Sige, let's believe SMNI. So kanya-kanya ng information ecosystem and information channels ang mga tao um, ngayong 2022. And there's now fundamental disagreements as to which facts do we believe in, which versions of quote-unquote the truth do we believe in. Na may kanya-kanya ng narrative mga tao, ba? So yeah, even within the Kakampinks, they have disputed the uh, Pulse Asia survey. And of course, Pulse Asia's uh, Ronnie Holmes yeah, have a stellar history of doing polls accurately, scientifically, fairly. And of course, the insinuations that, that they are biased pro-Marcos, like where are people getting this from? So people choose to believe their own reality. That's the in, the new innovation of 2022. And how did we get here? We got here because of polarization, how people participate in politics um, based on their political beliefs and to show their belonging to their political camp. So cloud chasing na ngayon. So among the kakampings, kanya-kanyang ano, uh, influencer, um, kanya-kanyang academic uh, seeking likes and shares. Ganun din sa DDS and sa Marcos. So may kanya-kanya na silang pundit, si Professor Clarita Carlos, celebrity na among pro-DDS uh, and pro-Marcos camp. 
hindi ko naman siya kilala prior to this election, di ba? So parang kanya-kanya na silang celebrity, kanya-kanya ng influencer. And so, choose your own reality, 2022. Sir, uh, my next question, perhaps this is a question for uh, disinformation operator or someone who is actively involved, paano sila nakakatulog sa gabi? You know, for the people at the bottom, yung mga fake account operators at the bottom, some of them come from modest backgrounds. As um, we hear the story of Danny in episode one of Catch Me If You Can, college graduate siya from one of the top universities in Metro Manila. But times are hard. Ang dami niyang inapplyan na trabaho in PR firms. Isa lang yung kumagat. And then dun niya nalaman, si Mayor pala magiging uh, kliyente niya. Did he have a choice? Did he, ha- did he have another job offer? No. So for him, trabaho lang to. Kaya niya ginawa yun for a couple of months. And it was powerful to hear though from the story of Danny na parang nakonsyensya siya when as a PR operator, gumagawa siya ng memes for mayor to attack their rival. Pero sinasama din siya sa mga barangay grassroots campaigns. And in one of those um, campaign sorties, nakita daw niya yung professor niya, yung college professor niya dati. Nakita niya sa sortie dahil yung college professor niya journalist. So dun siya nahiya. Parang dun daw siya na konsyensya na, oh my God, nakita ako ni Prof. What might he think of me? So dun nagsimula yung kanyang pag-iisip and eventually he quit his job. So to me, it's a very human story. I find his story very sympathetic. For myself, I am curious what your listeners and other people might think when they hear him retell his story. To end this conversation, this is my last question. How do we address all these problems now on social media, on the internet, since many of our politicians themselves benefit from such practices? They gain supporters and probably win. So what kind of leadership and what kind of policies or measures are needed to eliminate internet disinformation and trolls? I think everyone has a responsibility to fight disinformation. I think the work of obviously of journalists and fact checkers is to call out disinformation and mga lies um, na nakikita online. Yes, kailangan natin yun. In my work, to me, kailangan nating i-expose yung industriya kung nagbabayad ba sila ng tamang buwis. Ano ba yung ethics nila sa pamamalakad ng mga political campaigns? Hindi sila nare-regulate. Kailangan natin ng transparency kung paano ba nila kinokontrata itong mga influencers at mga fake account operators. Kailangan nating pangalanan yung mga PR firms na work with politicians. And at the same time, parang for ordinary people, and I tell this to uh, many Filipinos, sabi nila kasi sa akin, oy, uh, napapagod na akong sagutin yung mga trolls sa aking timeline. May pinatay akong troll, may bago na namang nalumaba sa aking newsfeed. So to me, I also tell them, yeah, uh, do what's also healthy for you in terms of your own mental health. I think the war to fight disinformation isn't just about fighting the trolls. It's about actually having open conversations with people we disagree with. It's about having um, open conversations to hear the other side out, to also reach across the aisle, to have conversations outside of social media. 
you know, to organize, um, to create stories might inspire other people to hope for a better Philippines. So I think that's important. And that concludes another episode of B-Side. Once again, you heard Business World Senior Reporter RJ Elbelinbin speaking with Jonathan C. Ong, a disinformation researcher and an associate professor of global digital media at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. For actual stories of trolls, or PR associates, and how they got into troll work, please check out Catch Me If You Can, a podcast hosted by Mr. Ong and journalist Kat Ventura. Like B-Side, Catch Me If You Can is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. This B-Side episode was recorded remotely on May 6. It was produced by Earl R. Lagundino and me, Sam El Marcelo. Thanks for listening.